It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, Brandon and I are talking about plantar fasciitis. Brandon, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm sitting here in the Atlanta airport in a, in a layover on my way back to Columbia, coming back from the CrossFit Games. Uh, awesome experience. Can't wait to get into that. We'll probably do a whole episode on that one uh, as we get into it. But today, man, I was hoping you could tell the listeners, what is plantar fasciitis? How does it happen? And then we'll get into some treatment. Sure. So... When you hear the term plantar fasciitis, you typically think about that classic heel pain that people have with the first step when they get out of bed in the morning. But if you really break it down and you think about it, that term fasciitis really is a misnomer. And if we're being technical, it should probably be called fasciosis, but I usually just call it heel pain when I'm talking to patients. Mm -hmm. But the reason why is that we know that the itis phase is actually very brief. It can even be as short as a few days. And once that initial time period is over, what we speculate is going on is that the tissue is now in some sort of degenerative state, kind of like a tendon where there's a lack of inflammatory cells. There might be some some disorganization of the collagen bundles, and it can really become this vicious cycle. So then as far as why it happens, there's really a lot of possible reasons and risk factors, including things like BMI. But typically what I find is that it usually happens when there's some sort of sudden change, and that's either in footwear or usually in training volume, right? So I mostly see it with runners. And what I find is that when there's an acute spike in their programming, so meaning a ton of mileage or, or intensity that was piled up on the week or two before the symptoms started as compared to the previous four weeks, they have a problem. And, you know, the pain science nerds aren't going to like this, but for lack of a better word, what we think is happening is that there's some sort of microtrauma occurring at that plantar fascial insertion where it inserts into the medial calcaneal tubercle. So it's like this, sort of like the inside of the heel. And, you know, we know these things happen all the time to us, and they're usually minor, and they usually get better with time. And plantar heel pain actually has a favorable prognosis with doing nothing and letting nature take its course. But sometimes it doesn't get better, and that's where we come in, right? right. And so, again, that classic symptom is, is that heel pain first step in the morning, and it typically eases off the activity or as the day rolls along. But we, we need to make sure that we take our time to diagnose properly as therapists and also rule things out like fat pad syndrome and things like calcaneal bursitis. Um, usually that can be done by just taking the time to talk to your patients. They usually tell you all the information that you need. And then, of course, just the basics like palpating properly and doing some selective tension testing. And I know, Josh, we'll get into this in a little bit, but you know, I treat plantar fasciitis or plantar, plantar heel pain very much like a tendon, mm-hmm. a tendinopathy. 
Yeah, and that's, it's one of those things, like you said, especially in the running population, or if, you know, for me, if we have a, a period of time with an athlete where uh, maybe I'm increasing running volume, maybe they're preparing for a race, or they're a CrossFitter, and there's an event that's, you know, they're going to do that we know there's a lot of running involved, say, you know, regionals, or, or the games, or something where there's going to be running. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of it is just controlling the volume uh, to ensure if you're trying to do from a prevention standpoint, but then also if someone is complaining of this heel pain and all the symptoms that you already mentioned, controlling the volume is really important, making sure that we, um, we pull back. And then from, from a coaching standpoint, um, one, I'm going to probably send them over to you if I can, but um, what I'm going to try to focus on first and foremost, and this is something that you can work with anybody that comes to you with heel pain and these symptoms is, um, one, modify their volume, reduce their impact. That's number one. Um, you can uh, add in things like stretching and, and stuff for the calves and the Achilles tendon and the bottom of the foot. Um, little ex small uh, exercises that can work on the lower leg and foot to make those muscles a little stronger, help stabilize the ankle a little bit. Um, I'm going to probably give them a water bottle filled you know, halfway up with water, freeze it. So that way they can rub that in the bottom of their foot or kind of roll their foot over it too. Um, again, I'm just trying to manage the symptoms a little bit and, and let nature do most of the work. Your body is going to be able to, you know, heal itself in this instance. Um, if we do uh, the right things around it, modify the volume, give it the rest we need to reduce the, uh, the impact. And then, you know, know take care of the area work to, to stretch anything that we need to in the calf um, maybe make some of the little muscles stronger um, and then you know hopefully that it resolves itself yeah for sure and and just just like we always say when we use the term rest we're talking relative rest because there's still plenty of ways for our patients and our clients to be able to train and really, really train hard with this. It shouldn't really hold you back from gaining fitness. It might not be as specific as you want it to be. You might not be, you know, running a ton of miles or doing a ton of impact at first, but you can definitely train around that. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to kind of expand a little bit on some of the, uh, the treatment options for sure. Cause I think that's where probably the most useful information is, but we should probably, we should probably back up a little bit and actually talk about diagnosis, uh, diving down a little bit more. Um, so, you know, I mentioned earlier, I mean, the big thing is that pain with the first step in the morning and tenderness, with the patient's report of familiar pain when you touch that insertion. So it's, you know, when you press there, not only does it hurt, but is that the pain that you're here to see me for? And I think that in and of itself is, is going to give you more information than doing like a win last test. And that's the one basically where you just, you just pull the toes back and stretch the plantar fascia and see if it hurts. But that, that test can actually give you some false negatives because the, the big toe oftentimes gets so stiff in a lot of people that you aren't actually tensioning that plantar fascia as much as you need to. So um, keep that in mind whenever you're you know, first working with these people. Um, you know, some of the things that, that I think you'll find and, uh, you know, in my head, I like to take the joint by joint approach. And again, starting at the big toe, um, I, I like to see 80 degrees plus, especially in an athlete. You know, you think about the, the amount that's required for something as simple as a push up in the front lane rest or something as complex as having to run or sprint. You need a lot of that. Um, and that stiffness can be cause and effect. Um, <clears throat> you know, working your way up, you'll see plantar fasciitis in people with high or low arches. Uh, I oftentimes see it more with people with flat feet and that navicular drop. So if you look for things like that, it's called the too many toe sign. And that's essentially where you're looking at a patient from behind while they're standing and you'll see more than just the fourth and fifth toe sticking out the side. Um, and again, that doesn't take into account things like, you know, retroverted hips where, you know, the femurs are, are turned out a little bit in the socket, but you know, let's just assume for this example that that stiffness is coming from the ankle. Um, and that could be a sign that this person's been over pronating for a while. And what happens is they, they yank on that plantar fascia, that plantar fascia and, 
that's usually due to a lack of uh, 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 ankle dorsiflexion. And then what's going to happen is that they're not going to be pushing off of that big toe and that toe gets stiff over time. And, um, you know, as we know, biology is a user to lose a business. So that's, that's, you know, one little nuance there that I think a lot of people should probably pay attention to. No, that's great. I think those that that's so helpful when you're when we're trying to narrow down what actually is uh, causing these symptoms. Uh, now, so say somebody comes into you and they're in that more acute phase. What is going to be the first step uh, that you're going to take with that person? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, day one treatment. I, I really like dry needling. Uh, it's actually my favorite condition to needle. And um, you know, the, the way that we do it is that we're going to usually stick needles in, in that insertion on that medial cochineal tubercle. A lot of times we do some perineural, which means we go around the nerves on the medial and lateral plantar nerves and the tibial nerve as well. So backing up a little bit, that insertion on the heel, that probably is the most uncomfortable spot in the human body sticking a needle in. Yep. But that's also, that's also <laughs> why we, we, we strongly encourage, but do not require, just in case any future Vertex employees are listening, that you let someone needle you in that spot if you're a therapist, because I promise it, it'll give you something that money can't buy. And that's perspective on what your patients go through. It'll, it also serve you well to allow you to get a little better uh, explanations to your patients on uh, what they're going through, going through before you give that treatment. Yep. Um, but, but the reason why we hit that spot is because, you know, just the mechanical stimulation of the needle itself, it has a pretty strong pain relieving analgesic effect because we're going all the way to the bone here and we're doing some periosteal packing and we know that that outer layer of the bone is richly innervated. The, the other thought process here is that, you know, again, this is probably a degenerative environment that we're intentionally causing some bleeding and some blood flow to the area. And that could simulate, it's called neovascularization, which basically means just new blood vessel growth. So there's another thing that happens when you insert that needle and you twist, you create this, this tinting effect. It's almost like if you stick a fork in spaghetti and you, you, you twist it, the spaghetti needs to wrap around it. And what happens is that that has been shown to realign fibroblasts. So if you suspect that, you know, due to timeline, because we can't see what's going on inside, that there may be some kind of disorganization, that collagen matrix. And so maybe you're causing a beneficial change here. And, and, and honestly, you know, I think that that one spot is really all you actually need to do. You know, I've actually, shameless plug here, I've actually submitted a manuscript to JOSBT where we use one needle in that spot and actually got statistically significant results. And um, I actually need to make some edits on that, but that that's not my idea. That's actually something that podiatrists have done for a long, long time. And in their journals, you know, they, a lot of times they'll, they'll take a group of subjects. One of them gets some kind of cortisone injection. The other group gets dry needling. And those are with uh, hypodermic needles without the medicine, which is, that's a hell of a lot thicker than the needles we use. Not to yep. mention those, those are hollow and that actually cuts to the tissue. So very painful stuff. But, but anyways, I digress. The group that got the needling done did better. And as a side note, I don't ever recommend a steroid injection for this. I've actually seen a few patients with ruptured plantar fascias in my career. And the one thing they had in common was that every single one of them got an injection. So just, just keep that in mind. The steroid injections are oftentimes a short-term gain for a long-term loss. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. I think that's, uh, you know, awesome information um, and very thorough. So, let's say this person's come in and you've started with uh, dry needling and you've gotten this situation to calm down a little bit. You've also modified their, their training or whatever they're doing. So you're giving it the relative rest that we talked about. Um, what's the next step? How are you going to get back into implementing loading and impact? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, there, there's a, there's a couple things that kind of, I guess, expand a little bit off the, the diagnosis we get to, but you know, one of the things that you'll usually find in addition to the big toe being stiff is that, 
you know, again, the ankle is stiff too. So, you know, we've assessed that with doing things like doing the wall ankle dorsiflexion test. And that's the one where you, you know, have the patient place their toes one hand width, not one hand length from the wall and you haven't been their knee and move it forward. And what you should see is that the, the patient has the ability for their knee to touch the wall without their heel coming off and without cheating the test and letting the knee cave in towards the midline or towards the big toe. And um, I know when I first saw that test years ago, it was part of the TPI screen. I think it was standardized to five inches away from the wall, but I always have them use a hand width because it's individualized and it's easy for a patient to test, retest on their own. Mm-hmm. So anyways, you know, if that test is positive, we're suspecting some type of Taylor curl joint restrictions and we're probably going to need to mobilize that joint after we needle, right? And mm-hmm. you know, along those lines, I'm checking lateral tibial glide. I check gastroxoleus linked, hamstring linked. Um, don't forget neural tension testing as well. That's huge. I'm actually using that a lot more these days with my peripheral conditions than I used to. Um, but again, day one stuff. So, you know, we'll work on soft tissue, joint mobility, big toe, all the way up to the ankle, subtalar, talocrural joints. And a lot of times we'll actually go all the way up into the hip and the lumbar spine. And there's a lot of reasons why we want to work at the chain because I know in PT school, we don't think much of fascia. It's usually just the stuff that gets in the way of us finding the muscles during cadaver dissection, right? Mm-hmm. But we do know that fascia is contractile and it's innervated. And that might be one of the reasons why doing things like a static nerve guide or working on someone's hamstring mobility can help with heel pain. So, you know, my home exercise program on day one, it's, usually, it's going to consist of some things like Great toe mobilizations, toe yoga, some sort of ankle rocking. You know that might be banded or a little ankle rock, loaded ankle rock, um, followed by some loaded dorsiflexion. If I get away with that, and a lot of times I'll teach soft soft tissue work, like using a cross ball to the foot intrinsics or you know, foam rolling to the calf and the hamstrings. I might throw in some active straight leg raise work, some nerve glides. And if you notice, I haven't talked about loading yet, and the reason why is that. I've learned the hard way that in my experience, if you start loading this stuff up heavily with these centrics on day one, within the same session that you needled, it can really piss off their sentence for a day or two. So I usually wait until the next session and, you know, I might have them do some type of, some sort of isometrics on day one, but, but that's usually it. And the thing to keep in mind is that plantar heel pain, especially if it's chronic, this is not one shot, one kill, like acute low back pain. It takes, it takes real time to create some real change. So a lot of times, you know, day one, they're going to feel better if you stick some needles in their heel. But what we have to remember is that symptom relief does not equal symptom resolution. Wow, that's, uh, that's a lot of great information, man. I feel like there are some serious knowledge bombs in that entire paragraph right there. Um, and I love that you, you mentioned the symptom relief versus symptom resolution. I feel like that's not just with uh, plantar fasciitis, but uh, – all the time I, I get with athletes, they, there's something going on that, you know, they're causing a little bit of pain and maybe we modify the activity and that's all that was needed for them. Give the time, their body time to, um, you know, kind of resolve the issue on its own, but all of a sudden they feel better and they want to get right back mm-hmm. into whatever it was that was causing the issue. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a tough conversation to have with people that, you know, just because you're not experiencing the same symptoms doesn't mean that the, the actual problem is truly resolved. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing that I always try to keep in mind anytime someone comes to see me in the back of my head, even though I know the goal is just, they, they just want to get some relief. They just want to get to feeling better. I'm always trying to keep in mind that in addition to helping you resolve some pain, I want to do whatever I can to make sure this doesn't come back or even better, you create some kind of resiliency, right? So mm-hmm. second visit, patient comes back. We're going to get them started on some sort of eccentric loading or some sort of heavy slow resistance protocol. And my favorite one is it's, it's Ratleaf et al. I may be butchering his name, but that's the Scandinavian article. And I think I sent it to you when you were my student. At least I hope oh, yeah. I did. 
You did. Right. Yeah, Good. along with like 50 other ones I had to read before day <laughs> one, but uh, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but um, I, I have the, the full text is available somewhere online. I'm pretty sure it is. So if, I'll look it up tonight. And if I find, I'll put it in the show notes. So uh, make sure you read that if you're listening. But essentially what you do is you have your patient perform wind last heel raises off a step. So you take something like a towel roll and you stick it underneath the toes to dorsiflex them or extend them. And your patient does heel raises at a three zero three two tempo. And they're going to do that either the prescribed rep ranges, which starts out at three sets of 12 and goes all the way up to five sets of eight after several weeks, you'll hit those reps or you'll go until you hit some sort of discomfort. And a lot of times we like to define that as that three or four out of 10 uh, uh, pain scale on the pain scale. And so once that gets easy, you start to add weight to it, increase the load. And it's easy just to throw a backpack with this. But keep in mind, again, this is something you want to carry out for at least four to six weeks, if not longer, because a lot of times they're going to be feeling good after the first couple of weeks, but it doesn't mean they are better and they have to keep it up. In my opinion, you know, that's where the money is. And that's what you have to do to actually get real tissue change over the long haul. But even with that, that's not enough. We still have to think beyond that, especially if someone has flat feet, they're overpronated, whatever you want to call it. So it's also important to load up those intrinsic muscles, like you mentioned earlier, Josh. And I like to teach the, what's called the short foot position. I think that's what y'all call it too. Mm-hmm. In yep. the world. And that's, you know, that's essentially where you use those intrinsic foot muscles to create a dome by pulling the balls of the feet towards the heels with all the toes on the ground, but not clawing into the ground. So it basically turns a size 10 foot into a nine and a half. So hence short foot. So you're essentially creating your own orthotic with your intrinsic muscles. And so if you're listening to this episode right now and you do this while you're sitting, you'll notice that in order for this to happen, your hips and your knees have to open up which is also a way you have to reinforce this position with things like, like single leg stance work, static and dynamic. You know, you need to squat. You need to squat heavy, do things like loaded carries, eventually jumping and landing. I mean, you name it. So while your patient's doing their joint and soft tissue work at home and they're doing their heavy services protocol at home, you still got plenty of things to work on in the clinic. And that's really where the art of PT or, or you as a clinician, you and a coach, you do what you feel is necessary to get your patient better. No, I love that. And um, you can keep challenging the person with those kind of things too. I love too when they've kind of mastered that single leg stance with the short foot, you know, um, athletes like a challenge. So if you can find a way to mix where they're balancing and you're tossing a ball to them, they're having to catch it, toss it back to you, you know, things like that, that, that can keep somebody interested and feel like they're, they're being productive, um, even with those type of exercises. So uh, if you can build up some strength in those intrinsics, that's, that's hugely important. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the only other thing I had with that is you, you talked about earlier about programming. Um, you, you know, as, as a therapist, you've got to get a, get a good idea and get as specific as possible as what your patient is doing as a runner, as a CrossFitter, wherever it is. And that might mean some kind of temporary modification of activity is needed, but they should still be able to train hard and get after it while they're getting better. So you got to really take the time in and either work on things like running gate mechanics or if you're not good at that just refer out to a coach or someone in your community that knows running better than you do and that could actually end up being a better business move in the long run and a win-win for everybody yeah and this is why i think both of us preach so much about um especially in the outpatient orthopedic pt world is is really trying to understand basic strength conditioning protocols so you actually can at least evaluate a person's program you might not feel Mm -hmm. comfortable prescribing a higher level strength conditioning program that's totally fine um But you should still be able to, if someone comes to you and they're having this issue, ask them for, well, what have you been doing? And they say, oh, well, I've been doing, you know, 
CrossFit class three times a week and I go running on the weekends, you know, that's not a sufficient answer. Try to get details from them. Really look at it. Look at, okay, what volume are they actually running on the weekend? During, the, during those CrossFit workouts during the week, are they actually running? Looking at the, the progression of the volume of, the, of impact, of mileage, whatever it is, um, diving into it a little bit deeper and then trying to evaluate, okay, this is, seems to be, you know, uh, a cause of maybe too much too soon, too fast. The progression wasn't necessarily a smart progression. And, and uh, I think that that's, you know, an extremely valuable skill for, for any PT, but especially if you're in that outpatient orthopedic world and you're working with athletes, uh, you've got to at least be able to look at somebody's program and be able to say, ah, this doesn't really, you know, it doesn't, you know, sit right with me. Um, and I think that that's something that these you know, continuing ed things that we keep talking about, like going the stuff that Zach's doing, um, you know, with the clinical management of fitness mm-hmm. athlete, like um, there's um, rehabbing the injured runners, another ice co- course too, that I, I really want to get into. Um, the, this is where, you know, as clinicians, we got to focus our time and keep learning um, in this realm so we can better be able to help the patient. Yeah, absolutely. And just to expand off of that, one of our therapists, Sean, he's got this, this code that he lives by whenever he has a patient come in with some kind of acute injury, it doesn't make sense. And he asks him, what have you been doing different? And the patient says nothing. He says, you got to peel the onion back and ask him that same question about two or three different ways. And you'll finally get that answer. So uh, be diligent about that and, you know, take your time to really, you know, get this information, figure out what your patients are doing and your clients are doing for sure. All right. Last thing. Awesome. I know people are going to want to know if they're a runner and this is going on and they come to you and you're talking about this is a long-term process and this loading takes time. You know, it's, you know, progressing, like you said, starting out like three by 12 or three by 15, you're progressing all the way down to five times eight over the course of some weeks here. When's this person getting back to running? Ooh, the answer is always, it depends, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. I kind of put, put you in a tough spot right there. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it really, it's, Plantar fasciitis, plantar heel pain is just like anything else. The quicker we can catch it, the more acute it is, the more likely you're going to get better running. That could be as little as a week or two. Someone's got this chronic stuff going on. It's been going on for a year or two. You're probably looking at at least six weeks, six to 12, before you're going to start getting back out there. But, man, that's better than a a whole other year. Um, But everybody's different. I can't guarantee that. We just have to take it on a case-by-case basis. So that's my PC answer there. There you go. No, I think that was great. I just wanted to give people an idea of that, you know, and really kind of stress like this is something that, it, you know, it takes a little while to, to really get everything back. Right. But um, like you said, that's so, uh, you know, that's well worth it when you consider the alternative of becoming a chronic issue. Cause then when it becomes a chronic issue, this is something that it it can take, you know, a year or more to really get right. Absolutely. Um, man, there's, there's one other thing too, that's just kind of popped in my head. There's this, procedure called 10x and i've had i've had a couple patients over the past couple years that have got it done for like really really chronic like three to five year history of this stuff going on and it's i don't fully understand it but it's something that orthopedists perform it's a it's an outpatient procedure they basically use this like super crazy you know ultrasound essentially to cut out scar tissue and in my head it doesn't make sense because we know scar tissue isn't a pain generator and you generally can't cut out pain but having said that Patients seem to think it's a miracle cure. If anybody listening has any more information about that, I'd love to, to have a chat with you. So hit me up on, a, on a Instagram at BBPT. Yeah, that's interesting, man. You don't have to keep me posted on that one. I'm not as uh, aware of that. But, um, you know, it's one of those things. If it, 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 you know, if it works, it works. You know, I kind of, uh, I'll keep it PC on that as well. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, guys, um, we thank you all again for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us uh, a five-star review. We appreciate it. It's how we reach more people. It's also a great place to leave a comment or a question uh, for something you want us to talk about. Um, one thing I did want to mention is body tempering. We've had the man himself, Donnie Thompson, on here, our very first interviewee way back in the day, it seems like, which is probably a year or so ago. Um, hard to believe it's probably coming up on a year. have to look back at the date on that. But we have our second body tempering clinic now on the schedule. It's going to be November 3rd of this year right here in Columbia, South Carolina. It's going to be at, at Spud's new facility. Um, so be on the lookout for more details for that. But I know if you, the first one sold out so quickly, we had, we limited it to 40 people and it was, you know, a couple weeks in, it was already sold out. So um, be watching um, for more info on that, especially check out all of Donnie's social media. He posts about it all the time. Um, but if you want to find out more about what brand's doing, go to uh, vertexpt.com or at vertexpt, or you can go, if you want to check out a little bit of the highlights from the game stuff this past weekend, you can go uh, to at CPT underscore strength or Carolina performance training.com. Uh, we appreciate you listening and tune in next week for more. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor of physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.